Amen. The word is an exciting thing to hear. And one of the things that is super exciting about this particular story is that uh, most likely all of us benefit from it. All right. If, if we if we were uh, born Jewish and we had always been Jewish and the word was never opened up to the Gentiles, then uh, then maybe we would be okay. But uh, being most likely from Gentiles, uh, we definitely benefit from this. So it should be something that's significant to our own identity as we learn about what has happened here in this incredible narrative about the work of God. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then uh, we'll open up. Father God, thank you so much that you are a sovereign Lord whose predestined work of salvation cannot be thwarted by man's sin. It cannot be thwarted by governments. It cannot be thwarted by uh, circumstances that happen in our life, whether they be tragedy or whether they be victory. But God, your province, your purpose, your will be done. God, we praise you that the gospel has been made open to all. That the gospel would be proclaimed from the mountaintops to the ends of the earth. And it would include all people, all tribes. And so let's look at this scripture together. And God, I pray that you would speak through it. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so I'm not going to reread for you chapter 10. As you might see, that's quite a few verses, and we would be here all day. But if you're into that, maybe we could. Uh, but I instead have chosen to really look at this in a in more thematic way. So the first thing I want to do is give you a little bit of a synopsis of just what we heard read uh, from the scripture. And so this is somewhat of, I would say, an overview that kind of brings in some of these key points in a, in a short thesis, if you would, of what happened. Peter is directed by God that no partiality between Jew or Gentile should be shown in presenting the gospel. This happened by a vision uh, to no longer avoid eating the common and the unclean. So it's by seeing uh, the uh, Levitical laws that talk about cleanliness and commonness in food and how that's taken care of, how it's prepared, that we begin to see a similar connection to the covenant of circumcision in which we would see something that would be seen as clean and something that is seen as unclean, as well as something that might be connected to righteousness. And we would see that through salvation, that we would be made clean, that we would be made new in Christ, right? So he sees this representation in this vision in relation to food. So, Basically, we see that God proclaims to him in this vision that 
Everything is made edible because it's made by God. And if everything is made edible, then all people made by God can hear the gospel and can be saved by God through faith. It is a gift of God by grace, right? So we see that that's central to this particular thesis, that Peter sees this vision. Another thing is that we see an interaction, an interaction with someone that is a Gentile, Cornelius, who is, interestingly enough, pointed out as a God-fearing man. So there's something that's already happened to Cornelius, where God has taken him, a centurion of the Italian cohort, so he is a ranked centurion, Roman centurion. He's most likely kind of has quite a bit of money, so he's well-to-do, well if you would, in society, but he's also ranked within the Roman guard. All right, so it's very important to see that. Most of these individuals uh, would not know anything to do with God and would be reprimanded if they were to cling to anything in relationship to any God. All right, so it's very important to see that as well. So when it says that he's a God-fearing man, there is already a, a seed of faith that is, is present. Now, he is uh, in relationship with, with the Jews there. So he's a God-fearing man in, in the sense of something like Judaism, if you would, right? So he, he has not been circumcised, but he is one who is clinging to these ideas of Judaism, right? So there is this connection that's there. We see that present. I found this he, on the web. Okay, thank you, Siri. All right. And we see that he also gave generously to the poor. He gave alms. Uh, when we see that word alms, it is about giving to the poor, giving to the needy. The, the money that's being given is actually meeting people's needs. So it's really important that we also see that element. He has compassion. He has a heart in which he cares about other people. So there's some kind of thing that has happened in his life that God has impressed upon his heart to begin to see past, right, how he has been raised. That's a pretty amazing thing to see already, that God's already working in his life. But through a vision, Cornelius is told to go to Peter. And we also see in hearing that vision that Cornelius was terrified by seeing this man in a white robe, which I'm sure we all would be, but he was also obedient. He was obedient quickly. As the Holy Spirit pricked him, he moved quickly to Peter. He not only moved by himself, but he also took all of those with him, who if you just kind of think about the family relationships in this period in time and history, they are kind of multifaceted where we might move away from our parents and we might move away from our siblings. You can see that these families are most likely going to have the parents still there, maybe even grandparents. They're going to have siblings there, so uncles and aunts, cousins, so on, right? And maybe even we would consider servants within that grouping of people. He would bring his family with him. 
as he went to speak with Peter. So we see that also happening. And when that happened, when he reached Peter, Peter, although he delayed slightly, ultimately was obedient and he did preach the gospel. They did receive the gospel. The Holy Spirit fell upon them and they were baptized by water in obedience following that of obviously John the Baptist in recognition of the fact that they would have been baptized by the Holy Spirit, right? So we see this process that happens. What's amazing about this process also, if you look historically just through the books of Acts, things that you've already most likely learned about and may remember throughout the past few weeks, right? We see a call, a call to go out and to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples and to go to the ends of the earth. We also see not only a proclamation to go and make disciples, we see this disciples challenged, right? We see a, a sermon preached, a multitude come to know the Lord in, in a miraculous way. The Holy Spirit descend upon them at Pentecost, this being a group of Jews. We also see the call, the stoning of Stephen, the proclamation of Stephen, Stephen and his, his courage and his tenacity to proclaim the gospel even when being stoned to death. We also see the calling of Paul. And in the calling of Paul, we begin to see, or Saul, excuse me, right? But as you see Paul be called out of the life that he was, a murderer, from a murderer to a shepherd, that transformation has been made and now we begin to see it is opened up to a certain group of people that we know that Paul would ultimately be the one that would take the, the mantle, if you would, and would begin those missionary journeys. But we also see Peter in this story, and God used Peter in this particular situation. Remember, what, what did Jesus say to Peter? On the rock, on you, she'll be able to church. He, he gave some sense of, Peter, there is a significant role you have here. And we see that it was Peter's sermon to the Jews that had a significant impact there. And we now see that Peter's sermon at the Gentiles has this impact as well. The Holy Spirit uses Peter in both instances. This is God's work. Another thing that we see here is that there is quite a few uh, unexplainable events happening in this. It's hard for us to truly grasp these visions and as you know, uh, I could probably spend quite a bit of time just teaching on visions. And I could spend a lot of time teaching on uh, the, uh, how the word of the Lord comes true in these visions. How, who, what are angels? You know, there's all kinds of different things that we could talk about in this particular scenario. But what most is most significant is this is that God, in God's providence, 
He says that his word will be known to the ends of the earth. That there is something happening here that is providential. And so I want to talk about these particular themes. So the overarching idea is that God shows no partiality. And that the gospel of Jesus has been opened up to the Gentiles. And so let's look a little bit at the history of physical, I mean, excuse me, of physical cleanliness and uncleanliness of food. If we look in Leviticus 5, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, but Leviticus 5, verse 2 says, Or if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal or a carcass of an unclean livestock or a carcass of an unclean swarming thing, and it is hidden from him, and he has become unclean, and he realizes his guilt. One of the things that I want you to see in that verse is to touch a dead animal. An unliving thing is to become unclean, according to this Levitical law. We could also look in Leviticus 11, which I'm not going to go to. That's, it's quite long, but it goes through a list of what it is, what are unclean foods, what are the foods that a, a true person of the covenant should not eat, should stay away from, and knowing that those things would make them unclean. So it was an act of obedience to follow this Levitical law, to stay clean and to, to stay separate. And it's beginning to, to lay a foundation of that there is something that is different from the people of God and the people of the world. Just as there is something different from God than all other things, that God is righteous, that God is holy, and that holiness and righteousness are only from God. And it's important to see that as well. Now, if we were to live by that in a similar way, we might even say that we could live by Genesis 17's covenant of circumcision, right? Where you would have to be circumcised as a male on the eighth day in order to be able to be a Jew, to be a person of God, to be God's people. And in a similar way, if that had not happened in your life, you would be considered unclean. And if you remember in Galatians, one of the big claims there is the Judaizers are out preaching the gospel, but they're also adding to the gospel this very Jesus plus kind of gospel, right? That, that now that you know the gospel and you've been saved, you have to be circumcised. So you basically have to revert back to this covenant of circumcision to still truly be a people of God, which we know was refuted by Paul, right? That that would be considered heresy, that we would only be able to know Jesus through the work of grace, through the work of Christ himself. So let's go and look at what Jesus has to say a little about this unclean food and clean food and the circumstances here. So in Mark 7, verse 14 through 23, 
Let's look there real quick. Mark 7, verse 14 through 23. All right. And he called the people to him again and said to him, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Isn't this interesting? This is long before Acts 10. And Jesus is already making the claim. He is making the claim here that there is nothing that you can eat that will defile you. It is not what you put in your mouth. It is not what you drink that defiles you. And that word defile meaning make you guilty, right? Make you sinful, a sinner, to make you unclean. Okay? And going on, and it goes on to say in verse uh, 17, And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and then is expelled? Thus he declares all food clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of a man comes evil thoughts, Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. One of the things that I thought was interesting in this is that Peter was there. So, you know, my first thought is, why did it take a vision with sheets and and animals in it and and this miraculous, incredible story to convince Peter of something that Jesus had already said? Well, the reason I believe that it happened was the exact central thesis of chapter 10, which is that the gospel would be shared with the Gentiles. It's very important that, that you see here that God reminds Peter, essentially, through this incredible vision of what Jesus had already said. And there's something there that I think is very significant. When you go to the Lord in prayer, or if you believe the Lord to be speaking to you, It should come from the word of the Lord. Right? Think about this. Jesus has already said this. So when Peter has this vision, it's something that's already been established. One way of maybe even thinking about it is it is an incredible reminding agent that's happening here. 
almost saying, Peter, let me show you an interesting little uh, movie clip (laughs) that portrays this this almost uh, inexplainable event. And uh, through that, I'm going to show you that it's not what you eat that defiles you. So he did it. Praise the Lord. I mean, think about it. Let's, let's just look at that one more time of, of what exactly happens with Peter in the context remembering what Jesus just said. Okay? Verse 9 in chapter 10 of Acts. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And remember, he, he most likely prayed three times a day in the morning, about midday, and also in the evening. And it says here, he became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And I just think about, you know, here, a sheet with four corners, and then we say the four corners of the earth, you know. Uh, And and there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, "By by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again in a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. What's this theme with three times in Peter, right? It's like it takes Peter three times in all different kinds of ways before he gets it. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep, right? And the thing was taken up. At once in heaven. What's what's in, what's interesting also about this? Where was Peter? Do you remember in this scripture? Where where is he physically? A tanner's house. What is he not supposed to touch? Dead things. <laughs> Isn't it just fascinating? It's 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 there's this it's this an amazing amount of irony almost. That's just going on here in the stories. He's not supposed to touch dead things, but he's staying at a tanner's house. He knows what Jesus has already said, that you can eat all things because he created it, and that's not what defiles you anyway. And he's clearly shown him what defiles him. He's seen the miracle of the resurrection. He knows exactly why Jesus died and rose again. He's preached the gospel and had thousands of people come to know the Lord and the Holy Spirit descend upon them, right? But here he's at a tanner's house and he needs this vision to remind him. So I don't know if that says something negative about Peter or if it says more about God. And I think it does say more something about God and his province. He has a plan and it's going to happen. Once again, God's plan cannot be thwarted by man's sin, by governments, by our victories or our defeats. Not one thing can change God's plan. 
right? So it's very significant. And this is God, us seeing, okay? So we have, we have kind of this bird's eye view of what's happening here. If we were in this story, we wouldn't be able to see it like this most likely. But being able to see this bird's eye view what we can see, because we now we also have this historical bird's eye view of what's been going on, we know that this is God's plan of salvation being laid out and being not only opened up to the Jews, the people in which Christ, obviously, lineage came through, in which the gospel would be brought to us, but also to be opened up to the Gentiles. So God's providence for the opening up of salvation is clearly happening in this set of verses. It's an amazing uh, experience, right? So we also see another thing that we see in the Lord Jesus's comments, right? That, that you would be defiled from what's within you and that we see by acknowledging that all food is clean and that the Gentiles need to hear the gospel as well because it's something that's inside us. It's who we are. It's our identity that is sinful. We are born sinners, right? We are not only uh, made sinners by Adam and Eve, we are also made sinners by our own lineage, Right, Our own family, who we are, the things that we do, our own actions, and we're cursed by sin. We're cursed by the curse of sin itself. We're cursed by the discipline of sin. We are cursed by other people's sin. Just look at the, the experiences of the week. That is the curse of sin. And that is that something inside people is defiled. We need change. And change happens from within. We ultimately know that we need a new heart. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first, and also the Greek. Romans 3.23, we see all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it says in Romans 3.29, yes, of Gentiles also, that they may know the work of Jesus, that they could find salvation in Christ. In Romans 5.1-5, through 5, therefore, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So peace with God. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Notice the transformative things. The list is very different than the list I just read from Jesus, right, where he was talking about the things that are inside man. But look what is here, the things that come from the hope of glory, from Jesus, the work that justifies us by faith. 
Our endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What happened here? Notice the situation. So Peter, in verse 34 of chapter 10, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand, God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning with Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all of that. He did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. The circumcised and the uncircumcised, the clean and the unclean. All right? Once again, verse 5, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the old sinful heart is taken out and the new heart that is the, the temple of the Holy Spirit is put in us, where the Holy Spirit resides in us, directing us to the word of the Lord, to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, and to love others. Right? God transforms. We see that God's providential hand in this situation, this historical account, was to open up a transformative experience of having a new heart. Holy Spirit, even for Gentiles, praise the Lord. There's a few other themes, and, that's, and I would say that's the central kind of theological ramifications of what we see going on. But there's some also very important applications that I want to put in, uh, in kind of your thought patterns today. One is that God puts people in our way. Notice that the Lord came to Cornelius and directed him. And he took his family. He was directed by God 
to go to Peter, and ultimately they heard the gospel. God still directs man in front of his chosen, right? His people to hear his word, the gospel proclaimed. And he has called you, his church, to proclaim the gospel and to remember that he puts people in your way. Right? That could be different for all of us, right? There's going to be groups of people that maybe as individuals we all experience that may not even be in the same radar, if you would. But then there's also going to be groups of people or people that come into play that we might know as groups. So you might know as a church, there might be someone who regularly attends here that is, that is not a believer. Are they hearing the gospel? Right? Not only from the pulpit, but are they hearing the gospel from your, your um, interaction with them? It's important for us to see that as well, that the gospel's not just preached from the pulpit, right? It's preached by all of God's people. So God puts people in our way. The question that I have then is that are we fulfilling the call to make disciples? Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is what happened to Peter and his compadres, right? They had that experience. He even bore witness of it here in chapter 10 as he showed that as Jesus rose, that a group of these Chosen witnessed him and communed with him. And in that communion with him, Jesus calls them to go and make disciples. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Remember, the Holy Spirit in our heart, Jesus in our path as the treasure that we seek. Right? In obedience to the Father that we would proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. So all people... And we are justified, obviously, to share the gospel to the Gentiles. Praise the Lord, because we probably fall into that category, as I said earlier. Another thing that is important for us to see is that when people experience the presence of the Lord, there is a, a true experience that happens that is sometimes not easily explained but can be seen, right? So we can see it here in the Word. Let me just kind of go through these verses, if you would. Notice it says here, if you go to verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision, this is Cornelius, of course, an angel come, to in, come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he started, stared at him in terror, 
there is some kind of experience that happens when we see the truth of the Lord in front of us. When the word of the Lord becomes something that is truly material, it ought to change us. It ought to humble us. When we see Jesus for who he truly is, it ought to change us. It ought to truly humble us, right? When we see the word of the Lord move among the hearts of our brothers and sisters in the church, it ought to be something that humbles us. It ought to be something that transforms us. It ought to be something that um, brings us to our knees in worship. And so maybe the word that we use is worship. And the worship of Jesus is the purpose of all that we're talking about. Right? It's that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Right? It's he who we worship. And I, I want to I take you back to something that is so amazing in, in recognizing the providence of God come to play here in the reality and something that we even see uh, foreseen in, in the scripture that was read earlier in Malachi. But what we see in Genesis 15, 5 through 6, it says this, And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven. This is the Lord talking to Abram. Look toward heaven and the number of the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it unto him as righteousness. The faith of Father Abraham isn't just the faith that opened the gospel and led to the seed of the Lion of Judah. But it's also through him that the seed is opened up to the Gentiles. And it's the promise that's made right here. This is God making a promise to Abram that we see being fulfilled in chapter 10 of Acts. So there's kind of a extreme forethought to chapter 10, right? Let's move now to the future. Revelation 7, 9 through 10. And after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples, and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's through the story that we see here, this significant historical account. I always want to be careful how I say that. I don't want to just say story because I want, it's, not a, it's not a piece of fiction. This historical account of God's providential movement through Cornelius 
to draw him and his family down to Peter who would share the gospel with them through obedience and understand that the gospel was opened up to the Gentiles that we might know the gospel today. And it's also that we would see even those individuals along with ourselves gathered together singing salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. That ought to humble our spirits. So as you come today, I, I mean, as you're here today, I pray that, that your heart has come um, looking for a reminder of the true treasure, the true hope of the world, and it's Jesus and Jesus alone. And I hope that you see here that God in his wonderful way works out that you might hear the gospel. And so if you do not know Jesus and you're here, it only takes just the, the recognition and acknowledgement and the repentance that you are a sinner. Recognition that only Jesus can save you. And it's through the work of Christ on the cross, dying for our sins, taking our place for the judgment that we deserve, that he would defeat that judgment that we deserve that has condemned us because we are defiled and unclean. That he would wash that away and make us holy and clean like these white robes that were not only mentioned in Acts, but the white robes that were mentioned in Revelation. So it's important for us to come to the Lord with that in a humble way and acknowledge that he is the only way to salvation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we worship him again. God, thank you that you are a loving God that meets us where we are. You met Cornelius where he was. You were touching his heart and you still pricked his heart even further. Uh, a man who was far away from any kind of um, historical um, growing up in a, in, a, in a place of faith, but rather a pagan place, but that you would prick his heart and that his family would come and that you would have already pricked Peter's heart to remind them of the very thing that you said, Jesus, that the thing that defiles us is in us and it's the sin that we need saving from. And Jesus, it's by your death and resurrection that we are saved. And so may we come to that truth and may the Holy Spirit fall on us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.